I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, look, don't get involved in this, Mr. Cole. These tapes are dangerous. You know what I mean. Someone may get hurt. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicate. I'm your host, Armand Haddad. This season we are shining the spotlight on art house films and the power of cinema within our lives. Today's focus is on the 1974 mystery, The Conversation, by director Francis Ford Coppola. To unpack this film, I am accompanied by two-thirds of the film podcast, Reshoot, an amateur's guide to gooder film. Ruthie and Hector, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to have you on once again. And I do have to say, right off the bat, Ruthie, since this was your recommendation, how did you first hear of The Conversation by Francis Ford Coppola? Uh, so this is my first Coppola movie. I saw this before I ever saw The Godfather, but uh, I mentioned this a couple times because we've seen a couple movies from that uh, film class that I took in winter term 2020, but this was one of those. And it was one of my favorites of the class. Nice. And Hector, how did you first hear of this film? Uh, I wish I had an elegant answer like Ruthie. She told me about it and we watched it. I made him watch it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to uh, watch a movie, being subjected to it. As I was, because this was your recommendation, I never heard of this film uh, before watching it today. And I was completely blown away because like, this is definitely... A Francis Ford Coppola film because it stars some reoccurring actors that have been in a lot of his films, such as Robert Duvall as a very, like a little cameo at the end. And then, of course, Harrison Ford popping up. And it's kind of funny because, like, you don't expect, like, uh, reoccurring actors like that, but, like, in, like, the cinematic universe of American Xenotrope, like, it's funny because they do pop up a lot. Like Francis Ford Coppola reuses actors kind of like with every director now, because like when you see a director's filmography, they reuse actors and it's just fun to see like, ah, I know who that is. I've noticed that more with like James Gunn. Uh, I always forget his name, but the guy who did like the, the French dispatch, Grand Budapest Hotel. Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. I love Wes Anderson, but he definitely like, he's got a roster of his favorite actors and you can see it in each of his movies. Wow. <laughs> like Owen Wilson. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't catch that good one. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, Bill mm-hmm. Murray. A lot mm-hmm. of them will just keep popping up in his stuff. Like he'll have them on once and then they'll, they're never able to leave. It's like they're stuck right. in purgatory, <laughs> but it's Wes Anderson. 
You will come back. Yes. Yes, Wes Anderson. <laughs> or like Nick Frost and uh, Simon Pegg. Like, yes. Yes, Edgar Wright. I will come back and do your film. <laughs> I want another film. I want another Not Cornetto trilogy. It's going to happen one day. I don't know when, but it will happen. But getting back to the conversation, like this film was absolutely incredible. Like it was I was surprised how timeless it is. Like, even though it's set in the seventies and definitely feels like a seventies film, like the subject matter that explored is definitely very contemporary and surprisingly uh, relevant today. Um, Since you took it for your surveillance class, um, how did it fit into the curriculum, Ruthie? So, uh, I mean, there's like the surface level, like it's a movie about a man who watches people for a living. But then uh, there's also like a meta nature because uh, like when you boil it down, every movie is at its core about surveillance because you are going into a dark room to watch people who know you are watching them, but have to pretend that you're not watching them engage in a story and conflict. And you just get to watch them and enjoy it kind of like a voyeur kind of thing and especially with the end of the movie like in the class we were talking about it's like i'll try to be a little vague but uh uh harry could never harry right that was his name main character main character harry cole yes harry could never find the thing that was watching him because in a way it was it's the audience there it's kind of like the way that the camera changes, it stops being a camera, like a movie camera and starts surveying the room, like a security camera that he will never find because it breaks the fourth wall. That's really interesting. Um, Because when I was watching the film, I was surprised because Francis Ford Coppola is a very great director. Like his direction in all of his films I've seen are impeccable. The editing is great. And then with this film, I was surprised by the camera movements because, like you just said, um, it would be a static shot and main character Harry Cole, played by Gene Hackman, would move off frame and then the camera, delayed, would pan like it it was on a tripod. It would just pan and go to him. And in a conventional movie, it would be a cut. Like, you would cut it to a different camera angle of him, say, like, walking to his couch or something. And with this film, it does the pan and stop, which is definitely a no-no for cinematic. Um, Because for a spell, I was a camera operator. And when we would get the live shot, it was for a live performance, um, they would not want you to move around, uh, whether it was, like, a static shot, you are remaining static. Or if you're a moving shot, it has to be always moving. You can't just stop it. Like, it looks bad. Mm-hmm. And with this film, it breaks those conventions in such a great way. And, like, I didn't realize until you said it right now, where it breaks that fourth wall because the camera is an extension of the audience watching the main character as if we were surveying him, which is such a meta comment on the whole surveillance theme it's it's ingenious. I never would have thought of that. And Francis, I give you my my applause. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, this is my favorite Ford Coppola movie by quite a long shot. And I've only seen two, so who knows? Maybe I'll find another good one. Gotta watch Apocalypse Now. Oh, that was him, huh? Yeah. He was even in the movie, a little cameo. So, yeah, gotta check that out, Ruthie. Oh, yeah. So, before we go any further... Into the conversation with this conversation, <laughs> listeners of the show know what time it is. It's time for some elevator pitches. Please. So for those that don't know, if you saw a movie on a friend, you really only have 60 seconds to do so. So here on Seneca today, we're going to simulate that by putting one minute on the clock. So I need you two to summarize the entire plot of the conversation while avoiding major spoilers. Are you two ready? Ready to redeem ourselves from Parasite. all right ruthie so since i have two guests i'm gonna have you start and at the 30 second mark hector you're gonna finish ruthie's pitch we're gonna start in three two one go the conversation is a 
uh, it's a character study about a man who watches people for a living, but also hates being watched and will do whatever it takes to prevent that. Uh, it's also a, a character study in a man who is very far in his career, very well off in his career, and desperately wants a job change. That's right. Hector, go. This is also about how he's letting his walls down and he's trying to unravel a mystery of, one, what his latest job is really about, and at the same time getting over the guilt of a previous job that went completely off the rails wrong. And with, ten, with 10 seconds to spare, good job. Yes. That was amazing. Yeah, you you hit all the hallmarks of this film. Like it shows like you have one element of the story where it follows Harry Cole and it's interesting because like there's this irony where his job is spying on people and yet he's such a paranoid person because he wants to maintain his private life. So there's this nice juxtaposition there. And then at the same time, he's also haunted by his past because of his work, because yeah. something went horribly wrong because of his job and him doing his job. Yeah. The uh, the part that made me really fall in love with this movie was the scene where he walks into the cathedral and he starts doing his confession and he starts like pouring his guts out, but in a way like, he doesn't like talking about himself. So it's like trying to like overfill a cup, but just like one drop at a time, like tell what mm -hmm. happened. I don't know. There was just something about it where I was like eyes glued to the screen. You know, what's interesting about that scene. Um, I don't know if you noticed, and I don't know if it's intentional by Francis Ford Coppola. Probably. But when he was giving his confession, the words being audibly spoken on screen did not match his lips. Now, I don't know if that's a byproduct of the time because I've seen other 70s films and like the ADR just wasn't very good for the films that were being made. So I don't know if it was like a technical issue, but it works thematically because so he's haunted by his past and he goes to the confession booth in the church and he's giving a confession. But if the words don't match his lips, that could be an inner dialogue being delivered of the confession that he wants to give, but didn't give. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I could see that. Yeah. That makes sense. And it, it was like a thing where it's like, he's talking about a thing that's three years ago and it is assumed that he is a very religious man. So he probably may have given this confession before, maybe when he was in New York. Mm. So yeah, it makes sense. And what's interesting with that theory is that throughout this entire film, Francis Ford Coppola plays with the audio track of this film in such a great way to the point where I thought like I had a bad copy of the film because I was watching. And I'm like, is this sound supposed to be bad? Because it's bad. And it was to the point where I was about to turn off the TV. But then I realized, wait, this is intentional. Like, because since the film is about like capturing audio of people talking sometimes and like it's really cool because like it shows a little bit of the craft behind like splicing in audio from like different sources so harry call is like he has three different reels of like three different audio sources of one subject that he's trailing and when one reel gets bad and like a lot of feedback he would switch over to the other reel in the editing bay and before we realize that's what's happening, um, we just see like them talking, like actors talking, and then it gets distorted. And it's like, wait, is my movie bad? <laughs> Did the editor mess up? Did I mess up? Did I get a bad copy? So like it breaks the fourth wall a little bit and it makes you like, it takes you out of the moment. It's like, wait a minute. And then like Francis Ford Coppola pulls you back in because it's like, it's intentional. Like, it's no, really, no, no. it's really fun. I got this. This is planned. Don't worry. Come back. It's good. Don't worry. When I first started watching this for a second, I thought like uh, when they're showing, you know, them being followed and it also would have a hard time focusing on the couple at first. At first, was, I thought it was like the mime. Mm. So I was like, is this whole movie just going to be different conversations in the park? Okay. I'll, why not? <laughs> that mime really stole the show in that opening shot. Cause like <laughs> I, I was watching, I'm like, you know, this is like before the internet. This is before like 
we had entertainment everywhere. So, like, for fun, like, did people just walk around? Like, oh, let's go to the park and see the weird guy. <laughs> and he's just doing all these different poses. And it's like, oh, how quaint. It's truly a different time. So I could see why that, that would... Because, like, he really, sh- like, like, the camera really focuses in on that mime. Where I could, yeah, I totally thought it was the main character as well. Surprisingly, not yeah. the only movie that opens with a mime that I took that I watched for that same class. Really? Oh, the other one. Yeah, uh, there's another movie that uh, was my least favorite out of all of them by a country mile called uh, Blow Up, and it's apparently by this very, uh, very famous Italian director named Antonioni. Mm. Yes, that's his name. But okay. uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't like, this is like his one English movie and a, I hope his friend, his Italian stuff is a lot better because like not a good introduction. Maybe the teacher needed to pad some time. Like I need another film. You know what? It was the weirdest thing. That was his favorite. And he like came up to the class and he was like, what do you think guys? That was my favorite one. I was like, seriously, that's your favorite. <laughs> and the entire Oops. class was dead silent. He's like, no takers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So let's dive into Harry Call's character. So right off the bat, I um, this is a very interesting film because like if this, so if this movie was made nowadays, I think the character, the actor would be very different for Harry because it's a middle-aged man. It's a balding man. I mean, it's Gene Hackman, but like, Visually, it's not, it's, he's not a very appealing looking person. Yeah. I feel like if this was made today, they would cast George Clooney, Ryan Reynolds, like it would be Matt Damon, like someone like that's younger, but older at the same time. Mm -hmm. And not like this, like this almost geriatric looking dude. I wish more movies would do that nowadays. It's a bold move to make, but like. It was a different time, but like I yeah. feel like today, with any movie, you kind of have to sex it up. Yeah. yeah. At least have your people be good looking, at least. Not saying he's bad looking. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, but I was very surprised. I mean, and the movie looked extremely normal, which did shock me too. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like even with like The Godfather, everyone was like pretty conventionally attractive. That, Someone's going to take that out of context and think, I think uh, Marlon Brando's a gilf in that. Anyway, uh, but... Um, he's a good-looking man. He's a good-looking man. But, I don't know, just super surprised. Like you said, like, everyone in this movie is, like, someone I could see on the street. Maybe that plays into the theme of surveillance, because, like, people that you would see in film, those are the exception. Those are the cream of the crop, the people that you want to see on stage or on film. And with the conversation, since the theme is about listening to people, you know, wiretapping, just like peering into the lives of everyday people, it makes sense to have the cast be more subdued, more, quote, average looking. So I think I think it was a good move on uh, Francis Ford Coppola's part to have like, quote, normal looking people, except Harrison Ford as a dashing young man. He didn't look scruffy, and he didn't look like a nerf herder. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Kind of like Indiana Jones. I wonder when American Graffiti came out. Uh, I think it was just a little bit before, but this movie, the conversation came out four years before Star Wars. Yes. Yes. Um, So it was right before the precipice (laughs) of Harrison Ford changing his life forever. Um, But getting back to Harry... um, so I bring him up because, like, it's a very interesting uh, character piece because, like, he's such a paranoid person. And it's interesting that his line of work is listening to people and, like, watching people. It's it kind of like, it's like this, uh, you're, in the, you're in the environment that is not helpful to you but detrimental to your progress like if he's a paranoid person maybe he shouldn't be in that line of work but he is in that line of work because he's good at it it's just a very interesting dynamic what did you guys think of that 
I'm, I'm not sure if it's he was always a paranoid person and then he got into surveillance. My impression wasn't like that he was a paranoid person before he got into the surveillance industry and then he got into it. I always assumed like he was a normal dude who was just really good at like getting into stuff. And then he grew into paranoia because of it. Let's get into it. So he did a job three years ago where he was following people, surveilling them, and then recording it and then giving it to his clients that requested it. Mm -hmm. And he was, I think, watching over this woman. Uh, I think it was another guy. And the end goal of that was his clients had her killed. Uh. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just her. It was like he was listening in on something and he found something that he shouldn't, but he turned it in anyways. And mm. not only did the person he surveilled died, but their entire family, three people died because of his actions. Right. Yeah. The guy, the his wife and their little and their child. Yeah. Wow. I can see why that would have a heavy toll on his conscience and why he, he would be paranoid because... Essentially, he's an accomplice to that. Like, I think in the film, he even says, like, death doesn't scare me, but murder does. Like, it's a very poignant uh, phrase, and it's it definitely embodies his character uh, very well, because, like, that could happen to him. Like, he could be bugged, he can be trailed, and he can be killed, too. And I felt like he was letting that guilt kind of lead him in weird ways like when you're playing saxophone he'd always have like a recording of another band of a jazz mm. band going in the background yeah and he'd play along with that but you're supposed to play like jazz is very much an improv and a very group energy feeling right kind of genre mm -hmm. and i don't know it just it was a really poignant poignant and not very underemphasized way of showing like he's really letting himself be alone. Right. Like he lives a very isolated life. He lives alone. Uh, there's this great scene in the beginning of the film where he, he's seeing this girl who, I don't know if it's intentional or not, looks noticeably younger than him. And she seemingly doesn't really do much. Uh, she waits around for him he even, like, leaves money for, like, her rent. Like, it's definitely a weird dynamic, almost like sugar daddy, sugar baby kind of a relationship. And, like, she has genuine feelings for him. And, like, the context is it's his birthday. And she all she wants to do is, like, have him open up. Like, so she asks him questions, like, just trying to get to know him a little bit more. And his reaction was, like, so jarring but like it embodied you know his psyche throughout this entire film uh would you guys like to unpack that yeah uh it was also it was notable like the kinds of questions he, he was asking it wasn't like oh what are you thinking about like these deep like in a relationship questions. it was like first day's questions what do you do for a living uh what did you have for lunch today what what do you like how old are you and those are the things where he was like, nope, nope, please, no, ah, stop. Right. Like, he, he definitely had a wall up. Like, he didn't, like, not only, and one of them was like, do you live with someone? Just a simple question. Do you have roommates? Do you have a family I don't know about? And he ended up saying, ended up telling the truth is, I live alone. And not only does he live alone, and he doesn't want to live with anybody, but he doesn't want to live with anybody in his heart as well. So he has this wall up where he doesn't allow anybody in, like physically or emotionally. And it ends up taking a toll because at the end of that scene, um, as he's leaving, because like he leaves in frustration, like in the worst possible way to leave a conversation. Um, she even says like, very calmly, very collected. And she said, I'm not going to wait around for you. And she doesn't. Yeah. Good on her. That's right, Queen. Quick question. <laughs> Don't let that crown tip. <laughs> Quick question. When he tried to call someone at the end and ends up that number never existed, that was not her, right? Because that was the one thing that confused me. 
Uh, it's not that the number didn't exist. I thought it was just like it was dis like. Yeah, it was disconnect. Was it her or was it the other girl? Because that's the one part that kind of confused me. I think I I thought it was her because her name was Amy. I don't think we ever learned the name of the woman he recorded. Um. No, oh. Because no, no. I, I don't know if it was that or the woman he sort of slept with. Ah. No. Her name was Meredith. The second woman? Yeah. The one later in the film? Yeah. Yeah, her name is definitely Amy, the one in the beginning. And um, there's a payoff to that scene because, like, because as he's leaving, she's like, I'm not going to wait around for you. And then when he goes to call her, the number's disconnected. That was it, yeah. yeah. So she didn't wait around. She probably... She probably left that apartment as well. She's like, I'm done. Yeah. Screw this. The the movie takes place in like less than a week. So she was like, I'm out. Peace. The way the movie plays, I was starting to wonder if she was like cons almost conspiring against. The movie has such a paranoia to it that I, even mm -hmm. I have a hard time telling what was actually going on, what was in his head. It was a good unreliable narrator technique. Right. right. Yeah. Like. That scene alone sets up the character so perfectly because, like, as the movie continues, like, he loses everything. He loses all relationships, professional, uh, relational, and he's just left with himself, um, which we'll get into. Uh, the next person orbiting his life is his partner, Stanley. So Gene Hackman's character... Harry, it's kind of like a freelance surveillance, private eye type person. Yeah. Except not really an investigator. He just records people. He's really good at it. And he's so good at it that he has a certain standard for his like recordings. And Stanley, his partner, simply wants to know more about the people that they're listening to. And Harry's like, no. All we need to do is record it. Like perfectly. So I don't care about the content of what they're saying. I care about the quality of the audio recording that we're, you know, putting forth for our clients. And they have a rift. And just like with his little girlfriend that he had, uh, Stanley also leaves his life in a very dramatic way. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, the two of them. Like, it's oil and vinegar for sure, because Stanley's a very cr uh, curious person. Like, oh, what are they talking about? Ooh, this. He's just asking questions. He's being like a normal person, and he's very empathetic. And Harry's like, what does it matter? I, I want my recording. Get my recording good. Make, right. make it sound good. Make it pretty. Right. I, so I they have that, like, go on. Uh, I think that also plays into maybe the guilt or like the fear of like being implicated because it's like he's trying to close his heart off to them being people depending because there's consequences to his actions. He learned that. So maybe he doesn't right. even want that fake interaction. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see that. And so with this uh, current job that he's in or that he's working on, um, he becomes invested. So like either way, Stanley got what he wanted because like Harry started listening to the content of what he was recording and he starts to realize like there's inherent danger for these people because even though they're talking about like benign things, like, like, Oh, look at this homeless person on this bench. Like, it's so sad. But like, he knows, like, that's not truly what they're talking about. They're talking about, like, their lives are in danger. And they're, like, afraid. Um, and, like, they're expressing this in this, like, cryptic way because they know they're being watched. And they meet in, like, this public square where people can't really listen to them because the audio will be messed up because they're walking around constantly. There's noise everywhere. There's, everything's just being obstructed. But little do they know that Harry Cole is on the case and he's a professional. Um, it's just interesting how he's like picking up on these subtle hints that something isn't right. And he doesn't want to have a repeat of his previous 
um, project, which ended up killing uh, the people that he was listening to. So what did you guys think about the main uh, crux of this uh, movie, which is the mystery aspect of... So he's trailing these this couple, essentially. And the movie sets it up where there's something happening, their lives are in danger, and Harry is like piecing together that the director, as he is, as he is called, that hired Harry, is somehow looking to find dirt on them and maybe hurt them in some sort of way. What did you guys think about that whole main plot line? Um, my first thought was uh, like they were embezzling money or they weren't really a couple. So it took me probably a lot longer than most because I like nothing was disproving my theory up until like, you know, he gets the money and he goes and he, you see the director and then you see the director with his wife, who was that woman. And right. that's when it all clicked. So I'm not sure if I'm the right one to say anything. Cause I got the wrong impression up until like the reveal, the big reveal about the, right. that was the wife. Well, I, yeah. I had a similar experience. My thought process when I saw the girl and then we meet the director, I was like, oh, well, she's a lot younger than he is. So she's probably his daughter. So he's pissed off or because like she's got a secret relationship with this boy, mm. but her father doesn't approve. Ooh. And then we find out that's the wife. And like, sweet home, Al. <laughs> like, oh, he's <laughs> wrong, wrong one. Whoops. <laughs> Yeah, I was under the impression that she was cheating on her husband, who was mm-hmm. the client, and like the person that she was cheating on with was the young man that she was talking to in public. And uh, yeah, that is, I th- I'm pretty sure that is. I think the case, right? Can uh, can I go a bit spoiler? Maybe because here's yeah, let's get into the ending because so, like okay, hold on, let me finish because Sorry. like. It's never explained what's going on with them. I, it's kind of like inferred that there, there's some sort of relationship that they have, whether it's romantic or professional. But like, she's definitely doing something behind her husband's back type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, my whole thought process by the end was because they they've mentioned when he was asking when uh, the other rival of his of Harry yeah, he looks like uh, the OG Superman, uh, Christopher Reeves Superman. He didn't, yeah, he looked a he, little. Eh, more like Clark Kent. Maybe. Um, <laughs> well, when Harry, well, when Harry, when him were talking about that case, he was saying he was like, "Oh, just bug it. They're close." And and Harry's like, "Oh, they've been bugged before." So they know oh. when they're being bugged. Mm, right. My whole theory is that they knew what they were being recorded the entire time, and they basically set it up because they really emphasized and made extra clear the location of where to meet up at and at what time. Right. So I think what they did was they set it up, and they, they were using Harry because Harrison Ford was in on it, his character was in on it, mm-hmm. and the other two were in on it. And then they killed him and they took the company for themselves. And who was him? For those that didn't see the film. Uh, 
Harrison Ford. He was the assist. He was an assistant to the director, like the main assistant. Right. That was the most subversive moments of this film because, like, everything is through Harry Cole's perspective, and so we only know what he knows. And not only is he going through this guilt of his previous job where it went wrong and they died, and he believes it to be happening a second time. So, like, he believes that the girl's in danger and the guy is in danger from the clients. Little did we know that the client was actually the woman that he recorded, and she was plotting to kill her husband. That's insane. I did not expect that at all. No, me neither. Because, like, as the film progresses, like, Harry's losing his mind. Like, he even breaks into uh, the hotel room that was being recorded. Like, like we're going to meet up at this hotel, at this room, at this time. So he gets, like, a room that's, like, next to it. And he hears, like, screaming. He sees, like, uh, altercation through, like, the balcony. So he's like, oh, God. They killed her. And then he breaks into the hotel way later and he sees nothing. That's just a normal room. And he goes to the bathroom. What does he see? Nothing. Well, Everything's clean. A puddle of blood. Yeah, the blood coming out of the toilet. Yes. It was, a, it was a very shining esque moment with the blood overflowing the toilet. Personally, a horror story of mine. Like, you know, when you're like at someone's place and you're like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and then the water doesn't go down. Yep. It just goes up. Oh, okay. <laughs> For a second, I thought you're going to be like, oh, I shat blood one time. I'm like, wow, Armand, very brave of you to say that on your podcast. I, I had a friend and he was an atheist and he was like, I become a praying man once the water doesn't go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, I totally didn't see that happening, um, that she was the one plotting to kill her husband to take control of the company, which is, I don't think it was ever explained what this company was, nondescript company. But like, wow, that was mind-blowing. Yeah, and it was, it was kind of interesting, like, how much Harry, like, imprinted a reality on her, like... Uh, he thought he like she was in danger and there's a moment where he has like this dreamscape where in the park where she's walking around and he's like vaguely from a distance confessing everything to her like right. opening up and just revealing everything mm -hmm. and it yeah I don't know I thought that was an interesting like character moment as well right like Harry is a great like I don't want to say surrogate for the audience, but like this like perfect like encapsulation of like the descent that one could go down when they're paranoid and they're being and they think they're being watched. And the movie highlights it in such a great way because like three events other than this main plot line, three events happen to Harry in the beginning, the middle and the end that um perfectly illustrate like his paranoia uh in the beginning uh we have him coming home from work and like he has like three deadbolts on his door of his apartment and he opens all of them and then when he opens the door he sees a champagne bottle because it's his birthday his landlord left him a champagne bottle and Harry Loki freaks out and he's like, oh, oh. hey, uh, landlord calls him like, I, I need uh, some new locks on my door. So I want to be the only one with the keys. Yeah. yeah. Well, I th yeah, he called. I think he also called up the neighbor and he was like, how did you figure out it was my birthday? Don't do that. Never call <laughs> me again. Stay yeah, away. that was the thing. Right. Yeah. Like totally an overreaction. Like they're just being nice, but like an invasion of his privacy. Nonetheless, I yeah. can kind of understand that. I've had people figure stuff out about me that I never told them. It's a weird feeling. I'm glad you brought that up because like the second case where his privacy was violated was when so he's like having a party in a studio uh, with some fellow 
wiretappers from this wiretapping convention that's been happening. So like he invites them, like old colleagues of his. So he invites them all back to his place and uh, he meets this woman that we mentioned earlier, Meredith. And they, he's having this intimate moment with her and unbeknownst to Harry, he was bugged secretly by his friend and recorded and that intimate like really revealing moment for him like of opening up to this woman about like his old flame that left him he was like asking her like would you stay if you're in this situation and i forget what her answer was but the important part of that scene was his friends were spying on him and even though it was a joke and at the end of the day benign he freaked out again he was like get out get out of my place well what makes it even worse was like the guy specifically who bugged him wasn't his friend it's like his work rival who is like low-key implied to have stolen secrets within like the surveillance community like he'll Mm. he'll find out how you make your machines or and then he'll just replicate it himself yeah like uh yeah he he does a lot of why am i forgetting the word frauds yeah like like fraud like uh stealing people's ideas just a copycat yeah but he's a good copycat Mm -hmm. yeah like it's so that was his second um instance of his privacy being invaded like physically in the beginning with his apartments and then emotionally because like he was opening up to this woman and the third one which was the most insidious one because like the two are like, okay, like left a bottle of wine. The second one, like essentially teasing him, making fun of him. The third one, he felt like his life was in danger because he knows the implication because what happened to his previous client is that. So he was working on this case with the couple and the tapes were stolen, but they were stolen by the client. The client was like, you're getting weird and we wanted to make sure that you didn't destroy the tapes because we need the tapes. So we broke and installed. And the insidious part was, by the way, we found out that you were being weird because we bugged your place. So then he starts like combing through his apartment trying to find the, the microphone. Uh, what did you guys think of that scene? I thought that was probably one of the more important scenes of the film. Uh, I have a theory about that. I, I, I love Ruthie's interpretation of that scene. Okay. But my actual like theory theory is earlier in the film when they're showing the phone call thing. Yeah. He's like, Oh yeah, you can just listen by the first ring. And I noticed, you know, he goes like, hello, hello. And then drops it. But I found more correctly. He starts playing the. He starts playing his sax again, and I think the exact tone he was playing on the second part, before he picked it up the first time, was what they sh- played back to him. Yeah, the that's how they proved that they were recording. Yes, so that's why he's so when he's looking for the bug, I don't think there was any other bug other than that one th- through the phone. That one through the phone right. conversation, and the rest. It's just his paranoia finally bringing him. Down. Probably because Harrison Ford's character was at the surveillance conference. He could have found mm-hmm. out about it. Yeah, because like at the conference, they made a big deal of uh, his former colleague's invention, which is like, uh, you don't need to like physically bug their phone. All you need to do is like have this thing installed on your phone and then play this tune on the harmonica. And then when they, something like when they, pick up the phone then it's like bugged i think it's like, like the special thing makes us like the copper i think i don't know yeah. how much it was like actually francis ford coppola doing research on this or this is just something he's like it's not important how we get there the important thing is that this is there right um probably a mixture of both um but like why show that scene if there's no payoff you know, like everything, everything with this film has a setup payoff. Everything's intentional. So like why waste a scene by showing this invention that doesn't 
build any towards anything. So I think at the end of the film where he's looking for the microphone or the bug or whatever, um, he gets to the phone and like he picks it up. No one's on the no one's on the line, puts it down, starts playing a saxophone, and then the camera like you know it's focused on him, and then the phone rings again, which indicates that someone's listening. So that was my, that was my first impression too when I saw that scene, Hector. Like I'm totally tracking with you because I thought it was I was like okay, clearly someone's using that technology to listen in on him, and the bug doesn't physically exist. In his apartment. And I think they knew that too. He just couldn't catch them in the, uh, catch their hands the same, right? Catch them red-handed? Yeah, he couldn't catch them red-handed because he was too into his own head. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Uh, Coppola seems the the kind of guy who understands the the principle of Chekhov's gun. If you write a, a gun in the first half of the story, you have to have it go off in the second. Yeah, I think, I think it strongly implies that. Hector, like, you're totally right. But, Ruthie, what was your uh, theory with that scene? Well, yeah, it was it was really interesting. I didn't necessarily know what to think about it, but then at the class the next day, that, that's what we were taught. I mentioned it earlier. It was, like, this idea of, well, there's no way Harry could have ever seen the camera because the camera is us. We are watching the recording of him. He mm. can't ever know because of, like, the fourth wall. Right. I think that's like a meta narrative too. Like conventionally they're probably using that tech to listen yeah. to him. And that's why I can't find it because like, I love how he completely rips apart his apartments. Um, it was just a complete, um, vis- it was a complete visualization of like his paranoia where like, he's like, like tearing apart his phone, uh, tearing apart the walls, the floor, destroying all his furniture. Um, since yeah. he's a very religious man, he was hesitant on the Virgin Mary that At he was first. about to rip apart. And then he ends up smashing it. He's not getting that deposit back on his apartment. Yeah, big <laughs> oof. Unless he owns it. And he did a, a roundabout way to renovate it. <laughs> uh, but like... Yeah, like, I thought that was, like, the perfect ending of this film where, like, it shows him sitting in his destroyed space playing a saxophone. Like, it's a totally fitting end, and it shows, like, he couldn't find it because whether they use the technology or, like, were actually the camera, it's not there. So, like, his paranoia got the best of him, or maybe it never even existed. Maybe they're just messing around with him and he just lost his mind. So it shows why people can, you know, fall into this trap of like being paranoid that you're being watched by unknown entities. Like it's, it's a very interesting and thought provoking film in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was honestly a little paranoid for the first day or two afterwards. So I was like, <laughs> well, no, like, it's so, no, it's fine. It's like, it's so believable. And right. then, like, man, this could be done back then, and now it's even easier. Right. That's right. Because, like, earlier, we uh, I put out the, the QAnon episode, and I briefly mentioned um, Edward Snowden and how he whistle-blew that, hey, by the way, remember when you thought the NSA was spying on you? They actually are. In ways you could not even comprehend of, like, uh, creating a complete dossier of you based on your social media presence and your internet searches and like your whole online presence mm-hmm. creates a profile for you and that's for all Americans yeah we don't have anything to worry about we're fine professional <laughs> shit poster red flag <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah funny that you mentioned Edward Snowden uh, in the discord that you have Armand uh, yeah. I recommended Citizen Four, which is the documentary about Edward Snowden, and the first half actually takes place when he is dropping the files for the first time, like in public, face full face reveal. Like I'm going to announce this, but here's all the documents that you need to prove what's going on. Mm. And I know you haven't seen it, so I'm going to try and be a little vague. But there's parts of that same documentary that really remind me about the conversation. Cause like there's a moment where like something starts going off. And if this was like a normal situation, be like, okay, so the doorbell's ringing, who cares? Or like, 
the phone rings, but like because of what is going on and because of what he is accusing, you know, is actually going on, everything just kind of stops and you have to hold your breath and be like, oh man, is that, is that them? Is that the FBI? <laughs> Are they going to get caught? It's the NSA. <laughs> yeah, I still have to watch that because I saw the Hollywood dramatization one with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I liked it. I liked it. But like, you describing that is like, oh, I remember that scene from the movie Snowden where they put like their phone in the microwave. Like, they're listening. Oh, I don't, that wasn't in the documentary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like, a, there's a couple things where it's like, okay, this is routine, normal things. But because of what is going on, what they are doing, uh, mm -hmm. it puts it in an entirely different context and it makes you incredibly paranoid. Right. I mean... We should be paranoid, not paranoid. We should be suspicious, suspicious and angry that we're being watched. It's totally not right. An invasion of your privacy, which is a great segue for the final segments of this conversation, which is the off the fence. So I'm going to ask you guys a series of questions and you have to get off the fence. You have to Give a definitive answer, yes or no, and explain your position. Oh, so my first question is, since the movie is so heavily about surveillance, do you think this movie is relevant for today's audience, despite it being created in 1974? Extremely relevant. And I think just because of how everything's changing with all this new technology and ways anything can be tracked, um, I do think that it'll never stop being relevant. What about you, Ruthie? Not only do I think it's incredibly relevant, I think you could do like uh, a re-adaptation, like recreate the entire movie. And you, the only thing you'd really have to change is like the mechanisms of the technology. Because like, right. yeah. Yeah, because like watching this, I really liked just those details of like him in the editing bay, like putting together the reel of audio. Mm -hmm. And I was watching and I'm like, what's crazy is all that technology still exists. It's just digital now. All of the same functions of all the pieces of hardware he had is all now software. Like it's replicating those functions that those machines have, but digitally. So like, instead of having a room full of all this tech, you could just have a computer yeah. with a program on it. Yeah. And it yeah. recreates all of that stuff digitally. Yeah. Well, the way he was able to capture the conversation was uh, through triangulation. He had one guy in one building, one guy in another, and another one in the park with the microphone and in the gift mm -hmm. bag. And that's how he was able to get all the pieces of conversation. And that's the same uh, kind of technology that they do for phone data, like location data. Mm, yeah, oh. you're right. You're right. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Have you, do you know about the trend people are doing for like uh, trafficking purposes now? You know, those Apple AirTags? Oh, yeah. Would you, would you like to unpack that a little bit? I don't know what you're talking about. So... It seems like even anyone can do so if you have like an air tag, which if I understand it correctly, it's like a little something you put on I think it's like an AR thing. So like, like an... you can pin something like oh. with your camera. And, and then okay. it'll like show you where it is. Oh. I think it's meant for like if you're more likely to lose something. Yeah. But like, like keys. <laughs> someone yeah, but someone people have been using it to follow people to where they live and then kidnap them yeah they'll put a geotag on your car or the, oh the tag God. on your car and then i heard about that happening and like someone like put a air tag on someone's car and like followed them around the iphone i guess other iphones can track it as a way which feels a bit dangerous because if i'm an i'm an android user for example if there's no way to feel you know it connect to both then yeah, yeah. Well, i think they took inspiration off of uh snapchat's map thing oh, software God. that was horrible i yeah it's a little creepy and like i don't use snapchat anymore uh but i noticed that i could see where people are and i didn't know about it until like someone pointed it out i never had my location on 
so That'd people can't there. find me. Uh, but I was like, I could do. Are, are you okay with this? And like my friends were like, Yeah, I mean, it's creepy. <laughs> it's creepy. My mom for Christmas bought me a uh, a Fitbit, and I was super against it for a lot of reasons. But the one that finally could, when she gave it to me, she's like, I made sure there was no GPS like mandatory gps on this one i i specifically told her if there is any way this piece of equipment can track him he will never wear it he will never put it on we have a google thing in our home and i don't like a we got a google mini was it yeah the, just like the little puff of a speaker for and Christmas i a years i, I unplug we unplugged that for like three months because there'd be times where we had it sent off like the microphone's off and it'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. And we'd be like in the bedroom talking. And it'd be, mm, no. Yeah, that happens sometimes with me with my Google devices where I'm like, I was watching TV and then like my Google started talking like, well, what was that? And I'm like, oh God. Have you seen that? Uh, it was like an old kind of like half boomer meme where it's like, notice how every person who works in the tech industry has no smart devices in their house. And Except I'm, me. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's I, I know what the google i think they're called google the google homes yeah um the little ones if you turn the microphone off it starts yelling at you yeah it's like turn I, the microphone on turn the I, microphone I on hear like, you, what the fuck? good i don't want you to hear me <laughs> yeah it's we're living in strange times and this movie is surprisingly relevant um despite it being more than 50 years old. Um, but my second question is, if this movie was remade today, would it have the same impact that it originally had when it came out? Because this was nominated for Best Picture, along with The Godfather 2. I don't know if it would, honestly. I don't think it, I don't think it would have the same effect. It'd be like, well, yeah, obviously, he, his, his phone was recorded. Oh, he didn't have a phone. Oh, whatever. Right. The conversation was had already about surveillance with yeah. the conversation. Yeah. I, part of me wants to say it'll be more relevant. I, at least I know with some of the circles I run with, it'll be relevant. Like that friends in the tech industry. But I don't think the, not to dismiss the general population, it's just not the trend right now. I don't think it would be sadly as relevant unless you like a really good director and get that gets more people to watch it right like maybe christopher nolan or something well then we'd never he be would... able to hear the conversation <laughs> <laughs> oh man what was that ruthie what were you saying yeah <laughs> 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 that would be great. I'd say I feel like could do it. He could do a good. He has the he has a unique style all his own. It'll, he has he the rage, of, darling. Instead of like copying <laughs> Coppola, which is what anyone else would try to do, Edgar Wright would just turn in his own direction. I think he could do it. Okay. What um, if? So, do you think his? Do you think his daughter would give it justice, Sofia Coppola? With her new American Xenotrope uh, company. Wait, she or, she directs? Yeah, yeah. She, uh, yes. she did a movie in 97, The Virgin Suicides. Oh, that was, I haven't seen that, but that's her? She also did The Bling Ring for A24. I haven't heard of that one. There's a few A24 films that escaped me. <laughs> it was one of the first ones ever made by that production company. It, well, have you seen it? Yeah, I loved it. Okay, so I, it's I'll about. Just... It's it stars Emma Watson um, and some other starlets uh, that were big at the time, and it's about a true story where people break into celebrities' houses like Paris Hilton and steal their clothes and sell them. So an early iteration of the fanatic. Yes. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That is a reference I did not expect. <laughs> <laughs> I still need to see that movie. Do you, though? Yeah. Oh, 
<laughs> which one's the fanatic? I feel so odd saying this, but I can't remember which one that one is. That's the one with the limp, the guy who's uh, the limp biscuit. Right. Oh, no, I, no, I want to see that one. Yeah. Uh, my first thought is uh, Nightcrawler. That could. Oh, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal. Like yeah, that? I think I think that would be a good direction to take, like, if they were to remake this, or should I say, when they remake this eventually, that just crank up the thriller aspect of it. Like, even though I wish more mysteries came out uh, now, uh, it's kind of like passe to have a mystery movie, but like thriller type film with this uh, subject matter would be great. Donuts are making a comeback. Uh, there's the re- uh, the red, mostly called the Red Nile. And oh, uh, yeah. knives out. Yeah, but who done it are different than mysteries. Well, yeah, like, this wasn't like, like oh, who killed this? It was like, oh shit! Like, I what's he- the I what think it's mysteries like, unraveling? I hear you're not a fan of who done it. What if I that's not true? Okay. No, he doesn't. Well, no, not well, the same. I know you're saying that. Yeah, you're not vibing with it. But what if I could offer you a how catch him like Columbo? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm totally down for a Columbo remake. Yeah. Although you'd have to find a Peter, like a Peter Falk two, electric Googaloo, because he <laughs> made the character. There's no way it'll ever be remade. Well, I know. Well, they did well with Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, but I, like, but, but you need good writing. And let's be honest, the last season was bad. <laughs> That's fired. Well, and like I agree. the behind the scenes of Columbo, like this is probably going to get taken out. But I'm rambling too much, but like they talked about it, like. We can't write how Peter Falk does it. We have to like underwrite and then he just fills in the blanks. It's kind of like that lightning in the bottle moments, like um, with Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Stephen Moffat, and the whole Sherlock IP. Like it was like a perfect storm of like the right people at the right time. And then with uh, Columbo, with Peter Falk, is that his name? Yes. Like, he was like the perfect casting choice for Columbo because like when you think of Columbo, you think of him. And when you think of Columbo, you think of him like to this day, like it's such an old movie, not movie. It's such an old TV show. And yet we're still talking about it. It's like, we're not talking about other TV shows from that time with such high regard. Like there's definitely a lightning in the bottle TV show. For sure. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. But to get back to the conversation, I have one last question for you guys. Would you recommend the conversation to a friend? Oh, yeah. I recommended it to both of you, so... Uh... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> like it... friends? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys are friends. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this movie blew my expectations out of the water. Um, when I... The first frame, I was like, what is this movie about? And then quickly, it unraveled itself, and I was like, wow, this is a really intriguing movie. And not only that, super, like, relevance and contemporary even though it's so old like it's a it's a question that is definitely on a lot of people's minds like with the whole technology that's been uh being rolled out with like you know 
with all these social media companies and the metaverse and all this stuff like privacy will always be at the forefront and it will always be this tug of war between like my my privacy and then like uh these companies like with this film it was a time period where like surveilling someone was to get information to like for like dirt or to like find out something now it's all about monetization like i'm trying to find out more about you so i can sell you something which i don't know if that's a worse situation or a better situation but it's the situation that we're in I, so i think it's worse in some ways some we're nothing but living uh dollar signs yeah yeah, yeah absolutely that was well said thank you but that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about The Conversation. Please check it out where it is available. And now I'd like to take a moment to thank my guests, Ruthie and Hector, for coming on to the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And you two are welcome back anytime. If you'd like to hear more of Ruthie and Hector, please check them out on their podcast, Reshoot, an amateur's guide to good or film, wherever you find your podcasts. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going on the conversation, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicates. That is Syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Have Discord? Feel free to join the growing film community there at syndicate.com forward slash Discord, where you can catch myself along with other podcasters like Hector and Ruthie and listeners talking about this movie and others. But if we miss anything during this conversation, please send us a message at info at syndicate.com or visit the website syndicate.com. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.